Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction, and fiction is reality. And we come to you Monday through Friday from 11 p.m. Eastern until 3 p.m. E- 3 a.m. Eastern on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and of course, our good friends at iHeartRadio. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com and all social media sites, TV. And uh, to find out more about the Exxon Broadcast Network and the 24-7, 365 programming that we provide for you with our compliments, www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is James Clarkson. He is an investigator who has stood in two worlds for many years. A career professional investigator in the criminal justice field and a lifelong researcher of the UFO mystery. He has been a plainclothes military police investigator, a 20-year career city police officer and fraud investigator who has had many titles. Patrol supervisor, detective sergeant, fatal accident team manager and training officer. After retiring with 20 years service, he began a child abuse detective, and then he completed another decade of service as a fraud investigator for a Washington state agency. Meanwhile, for the last 30 years, he has studied the mystery of UFOs with the same attention to detail that he applied to criminal investigations. In 1986, he joined the Mutual UFO Network, applying the same passion for solving mysteries Um, To the world of high strangeness, James Clarkson serves as the Washington State Director of MUFON and the Special Assignments Team for MUFON. He has lectured at many UFO events across the country and in Paris as well as appearances on radio and TV. He is the author of Tell My Story, June Crane, the Air Force and UFOs as well as the Westport UFO Crash Retrieval Event. Joining me now from Washington is our guest this hour, James Clarkson and James, welcome to the Exxon. Great having you with us, and uh, thank you very much for your service over the years. Well, thank you for this opportunity. 
Uh, James, um, I can associate being a police officer. I was a police officer for a number of years. And I'm doing UFO and paranormal stuff. I've been doing this now for 26 years. What was it in your life that put one foot in criminal investigation and one foot in the phenomena of the UFO investigations? If I had to identify one event, it would be long ago, actually a radio broadcast of all things. I was home alone. I believe I was like 12 or 13 at the time. And a man named John G. Fuller, a famous mm -hmm. author, was being interviewed by KGO Radio in San Francisco, where I grew up. And he had just published a book called Incident at Exeter, referring to a series of really spectacular UFO events that occurred in Exeter, New Hampshire in the mid-60s. And, of course, he was the same author who published, who wrote The, the Interrupted Journey, which was the first study of the Benny, Betty and Betty Barney, and Barney Hill, yeah. Hill abduction. Fascinating. And well, I was mm -hmm. drawn to that event because the Exeter, New Hampshire sightings were all about close encounters involving on-duty police officers. And I guess I sort of knew from an early age that I wanted to go into law enforcement. So the two things sort of happened together. Fascinating. Truly fascinating. And, um, you know, the Betty and Barney Hill case is still a case that is talked about these days, and it's still a case that is debated after all these years. Uh, we've got about 60 seconds. In 30 seconds or less, why is the Betty and Barney Hill story so prevalent still within the UFO community? Well, because you have two stellar witnesses who were uh, interviewed at length by Dr. Benjamin Simon, who was extremely skeptical. I believe he was a professional psychiatrist. And despite all efforts to the contrary, their two stories exactly fit together. So unless they were engaged in what's known as folie à deux, mm -hmm. you have two people who basically went through the same hallucination if you make the assumption that they weren't telling the truth. Stand so, by, James. You and I have to take our break. We'll be right back. XO Nation, when we come back. James E. Clarkson, the director for Washington State, MUFON, is my very special guest. He's also a member of the STAR team and special assignments team. His website, www.jamesclarksonufo.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Don't go away. ExoNation, James uh, Clarkson is our special guest, www.jamesclarksonufo.com. And James, I'm sorry I had to cut you off there. You were just finishing up telling me about the Betty and Barney Hill case, so please continue, sir. Well, you've got a case where you have such strong witness testimony. You have a seemingly impossible situation where two people are undergoing the same thing. They both... They both suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder from the event. Mm -hmm. There actually was physical uh, evidence, as I recall. Uh, Betty's dress had strange material on it. There was also a very odd impression left on the car, which I believe was somewhat magnetized. There were just too many factors that indicated that this was the real thing. And I guess it was the right case at the right time because... <laughs> 
that really brought the whole concept of alien abduction into the minds of mainstream society. I think it's been going on for a long time, but this is the first time that it became a nationally recognized event. Um, it, it certainly did, and uh, I don't know of anyone who knows anything about UFOs or the ET experience, alien abductions, who don't know the Betty and Barney Hill story. What is so significant about the year 2017? Wow, where do we start? This is the big year for anniversaries. We have uh, 70 years in the modern UFO historical era. We have 70 years since the Roswell UFO crash. Mm -hmm. uh, for me personally, it's been 30 years since I joined MUFON. I joined early in 1987. And this is just... All these anniversaries are, are cropping up at the same time. This is a big year. And I was just at the 30th annual Ozark Mountain UFO Conference in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, where I had the honor of being the leadoff speaker. Wow. There is a lot happening in the year 2017 when it comes to ufology. Well, uh, Roswell, New Mexico, are we any closer to a definitive answer as to what actually happened there? I think we are. I think we were there a long time ago. It really depends on who you, who you choose to believe. When I hear the word Roswell, New Mexico, see, I, I not only think of one of my favorite towns to visit, mm -hmm. I also think of an investigation that involves interviews with over 600 witnesses now interlocking testimony. This is like a huge jigsaw puzzle that has been carefully assembled over many years, and no one witness necessarily has the entire story, but there, enough of the pieces have been put together that if you step back, it's pretty easy to see the big picture. And I long ago moved into the category of those who are convinced that the Roswell event is exactly what it was reported to be. It was the crash of an extraterrestrial spacecraft. It was the recovery by the military. And it was the beginning of the ongoing cover-up. All of those things come out of Roswell. So for people in the United States, mm -hmm. Roswell is still the big event. What about authors and experts like Kevin Randall, who has changed from being a believer into... You know, he's, he's saying that he's now interviewed many people who, at the time, say one thing, and after an in-depth investigation by him and other investigators, they found to be lying. Once again, you've got to look at the entire picture. Mm -hmm. Any Anytime you do a major UFO investigation, there's going to be dark and light. If the investigation goes on long enough, there are going to be people whose stories change over time anytime you deal with testimony from human beings mm -hmm. there are a lot of variables involved but it's sort of like you have to keep your eye on the main image and yes the details are always important i'm an investigator kevin randall is a great investigator i i have nothing but respect for much of his work i don't agree with all of his conclusions one thing I cannot understand about the Roswell uh, investigation that taints the entire story, in my professional opinion, 
is when Jesse Marcel collects what is supposed to be evidence at the Brazil farm. And instead of going back to the base, he breaks protocol. He breaks the chain of evidence and goes home and lets his son physically handle evidence. Now, as a police officer yourself, as an investigator, once that chain of evidence is broken, the case is no more valid. You can't give anybody associated with that case and the collection of the evidence any credibility. How come everyone that talks about Roswell ignores this very important point? Well, what was the protocol that was in place prior to that event for the U.S. military? It's very simple. It's stated, documented, and point of fact that you go, collect, return to base, maintaining the, the chain of custody. He broke it. He violated. He broke protocol. And yet people still applaud him as a hero. I think that's crazy. Well, I guess we would have to disagree on that one. Why? I have read the book uh, Roswell Legacy. Mm-hmm. By Corso? That is the book written by Jesse, actually by the young boy, who I believe was eight years old at the time when mm-hmm. his father came home with the wreckage. Okay, so you know, so how does this validate what an officer in the United States military violated protocol? How does this, how does this in any way, shape, or form justify the action and therefore not tainting the entire investigation? I don't, you know, your argument would be valid if the goal was to take the evidence into a criminal court of law. What you've got is a military officer who is involved in the discovery of something that is monumental. Oh, no, I'm no, not, no, no, excuse, I'm not excuse, saying excuse that he me, followed sir. orders excuse, or that excuse, he did Excuse me, sir. To. Excuse me, sir. You as a police officer, whether it's a criminal investigation or an investigation leading up to presenting a grand jury or presenting the district attorney with evidence, facts, based on evidence, you go with tainted evidence. Will they accept it? They won't accept it, but I don't think that that was what was going on here. So does that mean any intelligence officer within any branch of the military can break protocol just because they think it's something spectacular? I'm not even saying that he did what he was supposed to do. What I'm driving at is the bigger picture here is that the crash scene that that Jesse Marcel went to Mm -hmm. was not the only crash scene involved in the Roswell event. And there's strong evidence that the powers that be, I'm not sure which order they became aware of both crash scenes, but it's pretty obvious to me that they knew about them by the time that events uh, started rolling and they were perfectly willing to have the scene that Jesse Marcel went to and the one that involved the press release from William Blanchard, they were perfectly willing to have that become a public matter. And which of course they later reversed at the end of the weekend, declaring that the whole thing was just a weather balloon. I'm, I guess what I'm, I'm reacting to is that I'm, the military's goal at that point, I'm not sure, was trying to have an absolutely uh, perfect investigation of the matter. I think that they knew way more than they let on. What about Project Mogul? 
what about it? It's a great cover story. Is it a cover story or is it fact and the Roswell crash being the cover story for Project Mogul? I think that they blew the uh, validity of that theory the moment that they started mixing the crash dummies into the equation. You know, I, I just can't give Roswell any validity, so I think we should just pass that and say, all right, that's we'll, we'll agree to disagree. We, we probably should do that. I will, I will only add as a uh, coda on that that I did at one point spend over an hour with Glenn Dennis behind closed doors, and after I came out of that room, any doubts that I had about Roswell were gone, as well as what I learned from my friend June Crane. Now, why is that? Do you want to know about Glenn Dennis, or do you want sure. to know about June Crane? At this point, both of them, because you piqued my interest. Ah. Glenn Dennis was the mortician who worked at the Ballard Funeral Home on South Main Street in Roswell, mm -hmm. and he is the one who got the famous phone call that day where they wanted to know how many child-sized coffins he had. And his response was that they only had one, and they said that wasn't enough. He also claimed that later on that day, he received another phone call where there was an inquiry about how you would preserve bodies that were found out in the desert if you didn't want their chemical constituents to change. Mm -hmm. And his response was, get all the dry ice you can. And then we have the next part of the story, which is where he goes to visit his friend, the nurse, out at the base. And in order to understand that, you have to realize that back then there was no such thing as an ambulance or a paramedic service. Uh, the hearse, the funeral homes, would handle routine ambulance runs. And he was taking an injured airman back to the base, discovered a lot of activity. He ended up uh, encountering the nurse who came out of a room who told him that he needed to get out of there right away. There was a uh, confrontation with the major. He asked about what had crashed. They threatened his life. The next part of the story is a couple of days later. He's with the nurse, and she reveals that she was part of an autopsy. Now, of course, this is anecdotal. Mm -hmm. And the next big part of the story is that Glenn Dennis never revealed the true name of the nurse because he had promised her that he would not reveal his her name. Right. Now, if you go into the story very deeply, you will find out that Glenn Dennis did eventually provide a name to UFO researchers. But what fascinated me the most about talking to Glenn Dennis was that he revealed to me that the thing that he regretted most was that he deliberately told a lie about the nurse's name. But he said that he was absolutely tired of being followed around town by UFO investigators who were constantly haranguing him, mm -hmm. who wanted to know the name of the nurse. And so he decided it was better to just give them something than it was to keep telling them that he wouldn't give it up. And I thought that he was being extremely honest. And my impression of the man was that he died an honest man. So I, he's just one of many involved. And then, But, sir, let me ask you this question. Sure. If he lied once, what makes you think he wouldn't lie again? Ah, the standard attorney question. Yes, I agree with you. And could you condemn his entire testimony on that basis? Yes, you could. That's right. I, I happen to be in the camp of those who believe that he was an honest man. Why? Because I can totally picture him being harassed by UFO investigators.
were there were they was was there any proof to substantiate the claims of him receiving a call about the preservation of bodies the fact that somebody called him about the size of the caskets he had available and no, why and why would and, and why would the United States government call a civilian mortician to find out how to preserve a body instead of going through their own their own people that doesn't make sense to me I think that there was a much better relationship, a much closer relationship between the community mm. and the military base than what we're accustomed to now. Okay, you and I have to take a break at the news at the bottom of the hour. Please stand by. Exo Nation, uh, James Clarkson is our special guest. www.jamesclarksonufo.com. That's jamesclarksonufo.com. And we'll be back on the other side of the news. Don't go away. James Clarkson is our guest of this hour, ExoNation, jamesclarksonufo.com. You're an ex-cop, I'm an ex-cop. As investigators, we are trained to seek out evidence, not to use hearsay evidence. And yet, the Roswell case is all about hearsay evidence, and everybody believes it. That does not make sense to me. I'm, I'm not sure. Of course, we use anecdotal evidence in the UFO field. I readily admit that. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, can I absolutely prove to you that it happened the way I believe it did? No, I cannot. I would have to get sworn testimony from all of the witnesses. We would have to have them subject to cross-examination. Mm -hmm. And probably we would have to put it to a jury. But I strongly suggest that if we put the Roswell case to a jury, I could probably win it in any civil court. Well, that's because the civil courts do not hold the same burden of proof as criminal courts do. But in a criminal court, the Roswell evidence would fail, hands down. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't happen. If it didn't happen, sir, let me ask you this. Here we are in the year 2017. We have computer hackers that have hacked into every major database, both in the United States as well as other parts of the country and other parts of the world, the Snowdens, uh, you know, the, the WikiLeaks. If there is any proof whatsoever that the Roswell case did happen and it was in any database, don't you think or don't you believe that it would be of the utmost importance to any country that is not friendly with the United States to find this information and release it to show the people of the United States that the government has lied to them, causing total, you know, total upheaval, or that UFO uh, evidence has been suppressed, covered up. And yet, nothing, absolutely nothing has been released by any hacking group when it comes to UFOs. How come? Well, I'm not sure that I accept all the premises of your statement that nothing has been released. All right, sir. Well, then tell me where I'm wrong. Well, I would have to go back through all of these revelations. I mean, we, we've had so many different claims now about what has been leaked. And mm -hmm. I, I grant you there have been promises 
that major disclosure would be just around the corner, and obviously it hasn't happened. No, we've I heard- do believe that most of the major powers in the world, mm-hmm. even the ones that seemingly don't like each other, all have some very strong reasons why they don't want the truth of the UFOs to come out to the public. What reasons would they be? One of them is it would upset the entire paradigm of running a civilization on petroleum, since it's pretty obvious that most of your good UFO sightings, whatever these things are, Mm -hmm. whoever's piloting them, uh, I don't get too many reports of UFOs that have faulty mufflers or or loud exhaust. There's... uh, they clearly do not run on petroleum. So this would mean that there is another energy source available mm-hmm. somewhere right. that does not require oil. This could be very disturbing to a lot of people. If that energy source ever went public, mm-hmm. where we were not dependent upon petroleum, this would be an upheaval in our civilization. It would be hard to even imagine if you threw the oil industry out of work all of a sudden. So it's okay to it's okay to hack the elections. It's okay to hack top secret security information. It's okay to hack the military databases. It's okay to hack the federal databases. It's okay to hack the White House, but you don't hack anything pertaining to petroleum or alternative energy? Does that does that make sense to you, sir? I would, you know, I would have to see the entire breadth mm-hmm. of what has been leaked. Okay. Before I would render an opinion about that. Let's talk about the investigations that you've done, sir, with UFOs. You were saying that you've never seen a UFO or heard of a UFO report with a faulty muffler. What kind of UFO reports have you seen? Have I seen or have I investigated? Well, let's talk about, all right, let's talk about the UFO reports that you've investigated. Well, obviously they follow the standard, uh, pretty much the standards that everybody else has seen. Out of every 10 reports that I get, mm-hmm. I would say that three of them have insufficient information. Uh, three of them will turn out to be identified flying objects, either man-made or naturally caused. Uh, two of them will be information-only cases. One, once in a while, there will be a hoax, although those don't actually occur terribly often. And then two will be fall into the category of what I would call a true UFO, where you have high witness credibility and you have high strangeness together. And what constitutes high witness credibility? Well, I would say, for example, when you have someone who works for the federal government who is on duty, Mm -hmm. uh, an individual working for one of the uh, three-letter agencies who decides that he needs to talk to someone about something very unusual and disturbing that he saw in broad daylight that appears to be a metallic disc flying over a major city. And when it gets two-thirds of the way across the sky, it appears to vanish as if someone drew a line in the sky Mm -hmm. and he saw no evidence of propellers, uh, wings, jet engines, anything that would make it conventional. And while he's standing there with his jaw hanging down, he sees an F-15 fighter go in the same direction immediately, dispatched from a nearby airport. And we confirm on radar that there are unidentified 
there are returns of solid objects that do not have a transponder in the same area of the sky where that unknown object is seen to disappear, and we have the F-15 on radar going across the sky. So I have a man who has basically put his career in my hands Mm -hmm. to report something he did not need to report that he makes no money from, that he has no known uh, selfish motive for making this report. He gains nothing other than getting to talk to me and tell me about what happened, and I'm able to provide the confirmation that I just described. That I would call an example of a high-quality UFO report. It's funny. I would call that strange. This person, was he uh, was he a member of the government, and was he sworn to secrecy, and had he sworn allegiance to the country? Well, I would assume so. So, therefore, by telling you the information, he violated his oath, right? I don't know that. All right. I don't know that he took an oath about UFOs. Well, you don't have to take an oath about UFOs, sir. You know that as well as I do. But this person, when he told you this information and he didn't want to go public, uh, he knew that he was, well, I would assume he knew that what he was doing was in contravention to what he should have done. And I would, I would question his credibility based on that alone, the same way that I, I question the, the credibility of uh, Jesse Marcel. You just so can't. In, other, in you, other words, anyone who is a whistleblower, uh, there's no place in your realm of understanding for a whistleblower, someone who decides to take a risk for the greater good. That's right. That is that is it exactly because. If the whistleblower wants to leak information that could be of a national security basis and thereby putting millions of people's lives at risk, my opinion, he should be arrested, charged, put on trial, and let the powers-to-be decide his fate. I have no use for whistleblowers. I never have. I never will. That's a very, very interesting position. It's a very honest position, sir. In a free society, I find that very hard to understand. In a free society, I find it very hard to understand people who claim to see UFOs, extraterrestrials, who will not come out and identify themselves in order for their, their identity to be scrutinized. Oh, this man has come out and identified himself. I know exactly who he is. Has he, I've, even, I've even met him twice. Has he, gone, has he gone public? No, and he will not. Why not? What's he got to fear? His losing his job. So he, so, now now you understand my point. No, I don't. You don't. You, all right, somebody comes up with a story, tells the story, but says, listen, I don't want you to tell anything because I might lose my job. And this story, were there any other witnesses to this event? that came forward, anonymously or on the record? Not that I know of yet. So you have one witness making these claims. No, I also have radar. I said witnesses, sir. I said witnesses. Okay. So you don't have any other witnesses? Not at this moment. How long ago did this happen, sir? It happened in 2014. Okay, so here we are, 2017, three years later. And no other witnesses have come forward. 
That's very common in UFO cases. So why is it so common in UFO cases that credibility is a big factor? That people don't want to come forward, identify themselves, so that they can be scrutinized by people who are outside of the UFO community? People are afraid of ridicule. People are afraid of adverse effects on their jobs. Uh, there have been numerous surveys done that a majority of people believe that there is something inherently valid about the UFO phenomena. They believe that they're being lied to, but they also believe that if they reported a UFO, that they, would, they could suffer adverse consequences. I haven't heard of any cases of the men in black for years. So what, you know, if, if they're not supposed to, if, if you work for a company that deal in secrets and you sign uh, a paper saying that you will not disclose anything or a non-disclosure agreement and you go ahead and disclose it, you should get fired. There's no two ways about it. You signed it. You were, nobody put a gun to your head to sign it. And the same thing goes for an, an oath. You know, the police, you t as a police officer, you took an oath. Would you ever dream of breaking your oath to serve and protect only if there were circumstances where I thought that the greater good would be served by doing so. Ah, so there's still will standards then. No, there are just, I'm willing to admit that there may be circumstances that I can't exactly define right now. But. I don't know what's going to happen. But as a police officer. I don't know every possible but as scenario. A, but as a police officer, you said that they're depending on, on what the case is, that you would ignore the oath that or violate the oath that you took, right? No. So you would not violate the I oath. I did not violate my oath. No, no, I didn't. Did I, I have did, the intention of doing so. I did not say. And I adhered to strict confidentiality. But mm -hmm. if there were circumstances where I thought that it was the greater good of society for me to take the risk mm -hmm. of breaking that confidentiality, I would do it. All right, we've got to take our final break. Please stand by. Exxon Nation. James Clarkson is our special guest, www.jamesclarksonufo.com, and he is the uh, director of Washington State MUFON. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. And speaking about Kevin Randall, ExoNation, you can listen to Kevin Randall, A Different Perspective, each and every day on the Exxon Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. You know, we, uh, let's talk about something positive about ufology. In your opinion, what is there that is positive that, that's going on within ufology that you find encouraging? I think that one of the things I find encouraging is that well, for one thing, there are more programs like this around than there ever have been. There are more people who are getting tuned into the basic information. The media mm -hmm. is a two-edged sword, of course. I, I call it a force 
a force multiplier with unknown effects because it serves everybody's interests, including its own. But clearly, more and more people are talking about UFOs and the possibility that we are not alone in the universe and that there is a lot more going on out there than we imagine. What's your what's your opinion on disclosure? Are we any closer? And I know that Steve Bassett has been busting his buns off for many years, saying that disclosure is around the corner. He's had these press conferences at the National Press Gallery. He's invited the media, and, and yet it doesn't seem we're getting any closer to disclosure. What's the hangup? The hangup is that they're not about to release that information for a number of reasons. One of which we already briefly discussed which was the energy question. I also think that clearly if you accept the notion that there have been crashed UFOs that have been recovered by various governments, Mm -hmm. the first thing they're going to do is make the matter absolutely top secret. And the second thing they're going to do is the maximum amount of retro engineering for the purpose of weaponizing the technology. And clearly they are not going to tell the public about any of those things. So, I, I like Steve Bassett. I think that it's not going to happen the way that he thinks it will. I'm in the camp that says, no, there will not be any official disclosure by the government. But on the other hand, disclosure with a capital D mm-hmm. is happening all the time because people are becoming more aware. In other words, it kind of goes person to person to person. It's not going to be the government saying, Oh, by the way, we've been lying to you for 70 years. Oh, okay, I, I understand that. And, you know, I, I, can under, I can see where you're coming from. But with all the technology that is available today, night vision, uh, you know, everybody's got a cell phone and, and the rest of it. Um, how come there hasn't been that, 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 that smoking gun discovered yet and, and brought forward? Do you mean a really, really good photograph? Yeah. I would love a really good photograph. And no, I don't know exactly why. you got to have the right person in the right place with a camera and enough presence of mind to take a decent photo. I will freely admit that 90% of all of the UFO photos I see, I can't do anything with them. And most of the time, you don't get any sort of provenance. So even if I got a UFO photo that looked good, I have no idea where it came from or who took it or what they took it with. Mm-hmm. How, about, uh, how about UFO crashes, other crashes around the world? or um, Alien abduction stories seem to have fallen off the grid. Uh, cattle mutilation stories have fallen off the grid. And as I was saying, I, I don't know when the last time I heard anybody talk about the men in black. I don't think there were that many instances of the men in black to begin with. I think it it obviously appeals to the, you know, popular myth. There are there are many things going on in ufology at the same time. And one of the comp- components that is most irritating to me and people like me is the entertainment aspect of ufology. And obviously the men in black play mm-hmm. right into that. Uh, some of these things are like fashion trends. And that isn't to say that they're not still being reported. They're just not being picked up on by various media channels. I see. So, uh, so is it fair to say then that 
that the world of ufology or, or the investigation of ufology and the number of UFO sightings or abduction sightings that, that are reported to organizations like MUFON are based or generated by movies, television shows, and radio shows? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they're caused by that. Okay. I think that some people are reporting, the large number of people are genuinely reporting something that they do not understand. Right. The media has created a climate where people feel freer to talk about those things, but obviously there are also people who pick up on this and decide this is a great way to get attention or get free psychotherapy or whatever their motivation is. But within that mix, mm -hmm. there are people who have had genuine experiences that have disturbed them deeply that they need some help with. I, I think that uh, when you have a, um, a member of MUFON who, after the disappearance of Flight 370, Malaysian Airlines 370, issues a press release stating that the reason why the aircraft will never be found was because the aircraft and all aboard were taken aboard a UFO. That doesn't uh, make UFO investigations or UFO cases look very credible. On that one, I agree with you. No argument. Hmm. I don't agree with that press release. And I certainly will not try to defend everything that has been said by anybody in MUFON. MUFON is a large organization with a lot of different people in it who have a lot of different opinions. And, you know, I can't speak for all of them. And the particular one you cited, mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think that's an irresponsible conclusion. So how can the, the UFO community and the general public get on board together and, and work together to solve this enigma? I think it's by trying to be reasonable and listening to each other very carefully. Mm -hmm. And it is a time-consuming process. And it usually goes best when you actually get to meet people. In other words, I... When I, I give numerous public lectures on UFOs, public outreach is a very important part of the work I do. But I am very careful not to tell people what conclusions they should arrive at. I'm all about getting them to ask deeper questions and getting them to draw their own conclusions and saying, here are some sources that you might want to consider in your exploration of this what I consider to be a very fascinating mystery. It is. It is a fascinating mystery at that. But do you think that is it is it possible? You know, especially since the the uh, uh, that White Sands missile range wasn't that far away from Roswell, New Mexico. That it was just a top secret experiment that went wrong, and that a cover story was ignited in order to protect the the secrecy of the, of the uh, experiment or the event because of the rising tensions with Russia. I don't see it because I don't think that Project Mogul, I mean, the fact that we were sending up a balloon with a microphone on it, that particular aspect of it, I could see where it would be secret. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we had weather balloons and launched them routinely... 
that would not seem to be a very secret activity. Uh, the fact that we might want to monitor the Russians didn't seem to be, I don't think that was a big surprise to anybody. And we have, we, we're back to one of the big questions that I have, is we have William Blanchard, who is a base commander who deliberately tells the public that a flying disc has been found and brings tremendous worldwide attention on the tiny little town of Roswell one day, and yet he goes on to be promoted to being a four-star general. Apparently, his career was never adversely affected for issuing what I'm guessing you would say is a false press release. You know, I, I agree there could be a cover-up, but could that cover-up have a different, uh, different source besides, you know, a crash saucer and three dead aliens? Well, you would have to uh, explain away the other crash site. All right. Tell us about the other crash site. I believe that it was actually witnessed by uh, General Exxon. Uh, there are several what you would call deathbed statements or near-deathbed statements where we have some of these people like General Exxon, among others, and as I recall, um, one of the aides to General Ramey has also made such a statement where they came out at the end of their lives and basically said that there was a cover-up of a crashed flying disc. And in some cases, there are statements about bodies. Hmm. I'm, I'm referring to some of the work that was done by uh, Don Schmidt, yes. Tom Carey, people mm -hmm. like that. Now, isn't it true, sir, that during World War II, the, the Germans had flying discs? I know that there was experimentation mm -hmm. on advanced aircraft design and... And um, I, my, I'm just, we've got about a minute and a half left here. Well, but, then I would have to throw out the one big mm -hmm. super question. Right. Where were they based? Where were they refueled? Mm -hmm. And how would they get one to fly to the United States? Well, let me just, throw, let me just, throw, let me just, just let me throw this back at you. Number one, we brought the Germans over who, who, if it wasn't for the Germans that we brought over to the United States, the U.S. would never be on the moon, number one. Number two, they were highly advanced when it came to aeronautics. And number three, they could have dismantled a craft in Germany and flew it over to Roswell or anywhere in the United States. I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great uh, hour talking with you. ExoNation, my guest this hour has been James E. Clarkson, the director of Washington State MUFON. You be the judge. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue. Here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. <laughs> 